Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked room today, didn't you? How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? The Fair Family by Tony Walker The rain began at Halfway House. It started to spot the windscreen heavily just after Welshpool, and by the time they got to Garthmill, it was bucketing down. They'd come down the M6 toll motorway past Birmingham. Dave had begrudged paying the fee, but Angela said you always paid one way or another, either in money or time lost or in some other way. But now they were in mid-Wales and there wasn't much traffic, but what cars and vans there were threw up a lot of spray. The road through the mountains was narrow and full of bends. And when Dave got stuck behind a school bus, he couldn't see to overtake. So he sat there, crawling along, drumming his fingers on the steering wheel and cursing. Overtake here, Angela said. He shook his head. Can't see. There's nothing coming. I'd rather wait, she sighed. We'll be late. Catherine will be so upset, he grunted. We've got plenty of time, she exhaled. No, we haven't, he muttered. Quiet. You wake Sam. It's safe. Just go. Still, he wouldn't. They lapsed into a tense silence. Samantha, their infant daughter, slumbered in her car chair on the seat behind. As they drove west, stuck behind lumbering lorries, the weather got worse. It was September, and hadn't been too bad when they drove across from Shrewsbury, but the clouds massed, and the sky grew threatening as they entered Wales. Here the wind blew a hoolie, and the rain lashed, and Dave couldn't see the road, and he was a cautious driver anyway. Truth was, he was a cautious man. A mile later, and traffic was slowed to a crawl. It was just past Llangirig. Are you sure you can't get past them? Angela said. She pointed through the rain-streaked window. Dave said, I can't see a thing. The car heater blew warm air on their knees. The glass misted and Dave wiped at it with a microfiber cloth that he kept ready on his lap. Poor sod, he's worse off than we are, Angela said. Eh? She pointed through the streaked side window. That old bloke hitchhiking. He's fifty if he's a day. He shouldn't be out in this weather. Dave peered, shrugged, leaned forward over the wheel again. Oh, yeah. He's hitching, Angela said. Who hitches these days? Dave snorted. Hell of a day for it. The traffic inched onward, the old man, stick-thin, draped in a ragged-looking black coat, wearing a black hat of the kind favoured by Roman Catholic priests in the last century. He had a bundle on his back. I feel sorry for him, Angela said. Yeah, and I feel sorry for us, stuck in this traffic. Dave hunched over the wheel. Then overtake. I can't. Well, if you won't put your foot down, I can't. At least give that bloke a lift. He'll drown in this. A lift? He's drenched, he'll soak the car. She tilted her head. Please, I feel really bad for him. For him to be out in this weather, he must be in great need. Dave sucked his teeth. In great need? He might be a murderer. Angela laughed as if he's scrawny and you're a big strong man. You can protect us. It was true. Dave had played rugby professionally until last year when he'd given up due to a bad injury. He'd just never regained his nerve to go back on the pitch. He sighed. I don't really want to stop. It'll wake Samantha. Angela said, it's not like we're speeding down the highway. Besides, no good deed goes unrewarded. 
please. And so, because he loved his wife, Dave wound down the window. The rain drove in, and cars coming the other way threw up floods against his face, but he yelled into the weather, Mate! Mate! Want a lift? Whether he could hear his words or not, the hitchhiking stranger understood their meaning and smiled and nodded and gingerly picked his way over the streams of rain on the road, avoiding a forestry lorry and a camper van. He approached the car. Get in the back, careful of the little girl. Dave heard the tone of his voice and glanced at Angela who beamed at him and squeezed his arm. He'd done a good thing. Angela liked him doing good things. That made him feel marginally better and Dave wound up the window. The black-clad man brought the tang of damp and rain with him, but as he clunked the door after him, its closing clamp shut on the wind and road noise, and they sat as the rain drummed on the car's roof. The man spoke. The man, looking more like a vagabond than an everyday traveller, extended a bony wet hand. Ah, uh, we're not from here, Angela said. She gave a mock wince. English for our sins. Ah, English, is it? The man said. I'm Tumlin. Clerur by trade. He paused and seemed to search for a translation. Finally, he said, a minstrel. Angela raised her eyebrows. A minstrel? That's an unusual profession these days. The man smiled broadly. I prefer minstrel to bard. Bards are too common in Wales these days. So many of them on the radio and at their poetry competitions and the Eisteddfod. No, I am a travelling minstrel. I go from town to town, sit down on the curb, take out my harp and sing for my supper. That's a harp in the bag, Angela said, pointing. Yes, waterproof too. Where are you headed? Dave asked, as if keen to be shot of the man as soon as possible. I'm going to Bryn Ellich. Dave shook his head. I don't know where that is. Not many do, but I have family there, old cantankerous relatives from way back. Bryn Ellich sits on a hill near Goginan, just off this main road, but many miles on. Angela offered, we're going all the way to Aberystwyth, uh, to a christening. A christening, is it? Tumlin said. He turned his head. For this beautiful baby. He beamed at baby Samantha, who hadn't even stirred at his wet and windy entrance. No, Dave said, it's from a mate of mine's kid, Tumlin said, but we're going the same way at least. Thank you for the lift. If we ever get there, Dave said, indicating the barely moving traffic. Half an hour went by and the traffic hadn't moved. Dave turned the radio on, but the surrounding hills and poor weather made reception patchy, and what he could hear was in Welsh. So far they didn't know what had caused the snarl up. They sat without speaking. Dave impatiently searching for a station that would help him understand why this road was so slow. He cycled between Radio Wales, Radio Cymru and Marcher Sound, between chat shows and easy listening 80s hits to what sounded like sports commentaries which he didn't understand, but from the nods and comments Tom Lynn did, they were at a stop. I need to find out what's going on. Dave snatched at the door handle, pulled it and stepped out. The gale blew in, and he was instantly soaked by the September rain. He peered through the spray. The traffic coming the other way had stopped too. It was 3pm. They were running at least an hour late now. He walked forward into the rain and got to the car in front. They were tourists by the look of it. 
He wanted to ask them if they knew what the delay was, but the driver avoided his gaze and the door locks engaged. Dave sighed, hugged himself against the rain and cold and went forward to the next vehicle. This was an unladen forest lorry heading west of the mountains on a homeward run. The truck window was high above him. He put his foot on the step, reached up and tapped the window. The driver peered out, blinking and blinded by the rain he'd allowed in. Dave yelled, Just wondering what the hold-up is. The man gazed down thoughtfully and Dave hoped he spoke English. They all spoke English, didn't they? Eventually, the man said, Floods, floods all along. It's the rain, see? Dave saw. He thanked the man and returned to the car. Well, Angela asked. Roads flooded. Multiple places, apparently. Angela groaned. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Tum Lin leaned forward, he said. There's a back road you could take. Little known. Dave shook his head. That'll be flooded too. Tum Lin said. It's higher than this road. This main road collects a torrent running off the mountain. The road I'm thinking of runs much higher, away from the flooded valley bottoms. Dave grimaced. I'm not sure. I think we'd be better sticking to the main road. Angela said, but if we sit here, we'll miss the christening. Let's give it a shot. I, I don't want to disappoint Catherine. She was my best friend at uni. Sumlin smiled. Catherine? A Welsh girl, is it? She will know this mountain way. She would know it is safe. Safe, Dave said. A minor road through the mountains in this weather doesn't sound safe. Angela started to cry. Oh, babe, Dave said, reaching over to her. I was so looking forward to it. It means such a lot to get there. I wanted Samantha to meet a new friend. She reached back and stroked the sleeping infant in her car seat. Tears ran down Angela's pretty cheeks. Dave sighed heavily. I know, Ange, but it's dangerous. Tumlin said, do not fear, Englishman. I will be your guide. Dave shook his head. But we don't know you. We don't know anything about you. Angela peered up through damp eyelashes. Be brave, David. Tumlin laughed uproariously. Ah, young David, your wife thinks you're chicken. Here we are. Prove her wrong. Dave paused. Angela blinked away her tears, brushed her eyes and said, Please, Dave. Dave tightened his mouth. Okay, which way is this other road? Go on about a mile to Tina Bedu, and then you'll see a narrow turn-off to the right. Go on about a mile. I can't go on an inch. Overtake these cars and drive on the wrong side of the road. Tom grinned. There's probably nothing coming anyway. Floods, see? Dave gripped the steering wheel with both hands. It's crazy driving on the wrong side of the road. Do it, man, Tom chuckled. Angela said, I don't want to miss the christening. But we've got Samantha in the back, Angela pointed. There's nothing come the other way for 15 minutes at least. Tom smiled. We will all be safe. A christening is a very important thing after all. He looked sideways at little Samantha. Has your fair young daughter been christened, by the way? No, Angela said. I think it's better for her to make her own mind up about it when she's grown. If she wants to be baptised then, that's up to her. Very broad-minded, Tom said with a twinkle in his eye. I commend you for your modern ways. Okay, Dave said, I'm going. He tipped the stalk by the wheel and the lights flashed bleary through the streaked window and Dave pulled the car into the oncoming carriageway. 
He could hardly see anything to the downpour. He leaned forward and peered, shoulders hunching, fingers gripping the wheel tight, edging forward. Some of the cars they passed honked their horns, but most didn't. Nothing was coming so far. Look out for oncoming traffic, Ange, Dave gulped, though he had nothing to swallow. Thank you, Dave. She leaned over and kissed his cheek as they drove, going slowly, staring into the rain. From the back seat, Tum Lin smiled. The straits were scary enough, staring through the deluge, blinded by the bucketing water, but the corners were a white knuckle ride. They could see nothing. Dave just had to hope a big timber truck wasn't heading the other way. They rounded the first corner. Dave exhaled. He could see maybe thirty yards ahead now. He was torn between the terror of speeding and the terror of going too slow, but he stamped his foot onto the pedal and they jerked forward. He wanted to zoom down the road and pass the long line of stuck cars and wagons and reach the turn as fast as possible. They ploughed into a deep puddle. The water braked the car. It slowed, struggled and coughed. Dave pushed the pedal. We're a sitting duck here, he said. The car recovered. I didn't see that, Dave said. You can't see anything, to be fair, Tumlin grinned. You're doing brilliantly, Dave. Angela stroked his shoulder. I'm proud of you. And despite the anxiety that coursed through him, Dave smiled at his wife's praise and began to be proud of himself and pushed the accelerator down until the car began to heave its way out of the water and onto a marginally drier section of the road. There, Tom said, on the right. Dave threw his head round. Where? Dave squinted to see. Though it was not night, the heavy clouds and constant rain drained the daylight. There, Tom said. Dave saw a small turn-off where a single-tracked road led away through a stand of conifer trees. It's tiny. Are you sure that takes us very far? Oh, yes. It's a locals-only road. Only local folk know of it. Why is nobody else coming this way? Angela said. Tom said, it's an old road. Memory of it is lost among the young. But you know it. Tom's eyes glinted. I am old, ancient you might say, and I am very local, he gestured. I spring from this ground. Angela whispered, we have no option but to trust him. Dave answered, yes we do, we can turn back and refuse to go up this scrappy narrow trail. But then we'll miss the christening, Angela said. Tom heard them whispering and laughed, and to miss a christening is a terrible thing. To miss a christening allows all sorts of wickedness in. Dave narrowed his eyes. You don't look very devout. Are you a Christian man then? Tom Lynn guffawed. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I was around here long before the Nazarene was heard of in these parts, though I admit that I was better known back then, and better honoured. Now I must earn my keep as a wanderer and dabbler in minstrelsy, but master of Kanghaneth still, and brilliant-tongued at Bardas yet. Let's hurry along, Dave, please. Angela squeezed his arm and Dave took the turn onto the road less travelled, his darling babe Samantha still slumbering in her seat with its jingle bells a-jangle and its fairy mobiles dangling at her delight. The narrow road snaked on and up, 
and through the forest revealing sudden precipices and terrors of tumbled rocks lying to their left. Rocks that had once rolled sat now quiet under the drizzling rain. Up and up they went until it was as if they had entered another country once hidden and now revealed in the bare mountain heart of Wales. On all sides rolling hills rippled away for mile after mile until they were lost in weather wide and wondrous. The land basked in a strange twilight, under clouds underlit as if by a thousand will-o'-the-wisps. The car emerged above the clouds, which melted below them like dirty candy floss. It was not raining up here, but this land of marsh and bog and sedge swept away on all sides, and dark water pools decorated with bog cotton and bulrushes glinted and gleamed under an odd sun. But what a strange colour the sun is, Angela said, pointing. It's almost as if it were made of brass. Dave looked around him as he drove. These trees are weird too, very stunted. I've never seen the like of them. In the back, young Samantha slept, and Tum Lin's eyes grew brighter. From where the sun is, we're heading west, Dave said. That's what we want. Tum Lin sat forward. That's the road we travel, yes. From the east to the west, under the sky and over the hill, by sunlight and moonlight, by rain and snow, wind-blown and weather-beaten still, we travel. Silence grew in the car, a strange atmosphere built, until finally Angela said almost in a whisper, almost as if she was frightened to ask it, Who are you, really? The old minstrel cleared his throat. I am Tum Lin or son, son of mother, and I was much younger once, but now I'm reduced to singing for my supper and earning my scraps in ways that were far beneath me in the days of Gwydion and Llyr. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave said. At least the rain stopped, Angela said and shuddered as she gazed around her at the eerie landscape. But this is a wild place. Dave edged the car along a road that twisted and turned at times, and was straight and narrow at others. They saw no other vehicles, nor any sign of humankind. They saw no houses, nor habitations of men. They saw the sky turn amber, and the land transform from the colour of beaten iron and back again, to robin's egg blue and salmon scale silver. And they fell into a meditation as they drove and strange lights appeared ahead and to the sides. What are those? Angela said finally, coming to herself, hand to her throat. Nothing to be afeard of, said Tumblin, but his eyes searched the mist walls too. And mist gathered thicker, rolling over the moor, and in the fog faint shapes were seen moving. What are those things in the mist? Dave said foot paralysed on the accelerator, as if frightened to go so slow that they might stop, yet scared to go so fast that he might by chance come off the road. For if the car rolled onto that odd earth, what strange tendrils would grow up to occupy it, what strange beetles would scuttle in and make it their home. Nothing to be afeard of, said Tumlin again. And all this time, 
little Samantha did not wake. The fog rolled and thickened and grew close like the cold breath of a dying man. The shapes within it shuffled and shifted and shambled and were never still, but instead they peered from within the mist with blinking eyes, bright and curious and carnal. Yet their nature was never clear, and their faces always veiled by fog. Light coruscated within the fog, blues and yellows and reds and greens and purple and gold like a rainbow rippling over the boggy ground. And then someone was in the road in front of them. Dave hit the brakes hard and the car skidded forward and came to a stop. Standing there, as if expecting a toll, was a man astride a goat that had eyes like the devil's and a beard like the devil's son's beard, and the goat's skin was white as milk and its ears red as blood, and the man on its back was dressed as a king in a fine cloth of gold, and his face was sharp, and his eyes were black, and his eyebrows white, and his hair ivory pale, as if he came from winter. And stranger still, beside him stood tall and pale his queen, with white hair to her waist and eyes like gems, jewel-bright and fiery blazing with sapphire for the iris, quartz for the sclera and tourmaline for the apple, or, as the Welsh have it, the candle of her eye. And if the king came from winter, it was as if this queen came from spring. What the hell, Dave said with the air of a man who knows he is not where he should be. The car stood still on the road, engine turning. The king and his queen did not move, but instead spoke in Welsh. Angela said, they're demanding something. A toll, Tom said, this is their road. Dave turned, you knew, this is a trick, you're in league with them, this is some kind of Welsh mountain Celtic shakedown. Tom pursed his lips and looked mildly troubled. They're not always here. Mostly I get away with such trespass. The king spoke again and brought down his blackthorn staff across the bonnet of the car. Hey, Dave said. Get out and have a word with them, Angela said. Explain we're strangers. But Dave didn't move. Eventually, after a long while, Tom said, I have an appointment. I can't be lingering here. Angela turned and whispered, Help us. Tom Lynn obviously knew this place and these people. Maybe he could help. Tom Lynn nodded gravely and reached for the door handle and turned it, pushing open the door and stepping out into the damp air. From within the car, scared to budge, Dave and Angela huddled together and Angela reached back and put her hand on her beloved baby Samantha. But Samantha stirred not, and neither did she wake. Tom Lynn stood tall and ragged as an old crow on the roadway that now seemed crusted in gems rather than stone, and these gems glinted and gleamed under the mild fog, in the cold lights that flashed in the strange mist, and the odd figures in the mist became clearer and crowded closer, and Angela gasped and held on to Dave's arm, for fair as were the king and queen. Ugly and misshapen were their subjects, half men and half things, almost vegetal, 
growing from the ground like stumps of trees or weird fungus or leaf mold, primeval and unnatural and sempiternal. And as the trespassers sat in their car, these mist-bound monster shapes shuffled and huddled and muttered and watched. I'm scared, Angela said. Dave said, I knew we shouldn't have come this way. I knew we shouldn't have trusted him. Too late now. You should get out. You're a big man. Maybe if they see there's two of you and you mean business, they'll let us past. Or we can pay, Dave said. That depends what the price is. I'd pay most things to be out of here. And the goat-riding king spoke. Henfich o vabon mab motoron. Pa burpas adaithachwi ama aninai herbich gwele ders kahid. And the pale-eyed queen with eyes like opals and skin like topaz muttered, Eren tramguido arin tirni, tal si thi bob troseth, kovyochwi hin vabon. Athalion ai vrenhines, achavarchion i chi gwynapnith, sin vrenin y vangrehon, ag sydd yn gyfarwydd i mi ers oes oesoedd. Oh, what are they saying, is Angela? How would I know, Dave said. Angela trembled. I feel so foreign here. This isn't our country. And they were right. It wasn't. Dave said, I- I'm going to go for it. Just drive off. You'd leave him. Yes, he brought us here. He's local. They won't harm him. Tears rolled down Angela's cheeks. What if they follow us? We might get away, Dave said. But where does this road lead to? Away from here. That's all that matters. Angela looked at Samantha in the back, and she's sleeping through it all. It's for the best that she sleeps, Dave said. He looked out. He's discussing something, like they're negotiating a bargain. And the tall, ragtag man nodded and clucked and grimaced and held out his hands as if he was trying to strike a deal with the strange king and his hostile queen. And eventually there was nodding and agreement, and Tom Lin came back to the car. We can go. The king has given us passage through his country. I still think you knew he'd be here, Dave said. And he's just letting us go, Angela asked, her brow furrowing as she studied Tum Lin's lined face. Tum shrugged. My words are milk and honey. They work wonders with such as he. What is he anyway, Angela said. And what are those? She pointed through the window at the crowd of gaping monstrosities. Those are the fair family, Tum said, a with Teg, though they are not fair and are only called such for fear of offending them if their true monstrosity was declared. But let us leave now, they have allowed us passage. I have to be at Bryn before nightfall, and you have a christening to go to. You and young Samantha here, who has not herself been christened. Tum leaned and pulled Samantha's blanket so that it covered her face. Angela didn't stop him. So she sleeps better, he explained. And Dave sighed in relief and set the car off and drove and the mist clung to them and it seemed that the crowd of misshapen beings always kept pace and they could never be free of them until, eventually, the road pitched downwards and the strange moorland with its rolling colours and roiling mist was left behind. They were still in wild country, but at least it was wild in a way they recognised. Sheep sheltered behind stone walls, and here and there were lonely farmhouses. 
I'll be stopping here, Tom Lin said quietly. Here, Angela said, but it's the middle of nowhere. Brynellich, the home of my relations, is not far. This will be sufficiently close, as close as such as you can get, in fact. My people await me, and thank you for bringing me so far. I am not as late as I feared, Angela said. Thank you for helping us out of that awful situation with those strange people. Dave said, what bargain did you strike with them that convinced them to let us through? Tom smiled. A toll was asked, and I had to be here by nightfall. And now we are. What toll was asked, Angela said. But Tom Lynn spoke no more. When the minstrel was gone, Dave started the car. Angela wound the window down to watch Tom Lynn leave, and as he disappeared into the distance said, He's carrying something. His harp, Dave said without looking. No, that's on his back. He has something in his arms. Dave grunted and drove on. I don't know, and I don't care. Good riddance to bad rubbish. The rain had all blown away as they drove down Penglice Hill into Aberystwyth. They parked outside the B&B on South Marine Terrace, and in a pool of yellow sodium streetlight, Angela turned to her baby in the back seat. I can't believe she hasn't woken through all of this, she said, pulling away the blanket that Tom Lynn had drawn over Samantha's face. She recoiled with a gasp, her hand to her mouth. What is it? said Dave, spinning round, and they both looked at Samantha. But it was not their smiling, serene girl child they saw, but a toadstool-like thing of misshapen fungus that leaked mucus into the blanket around it. It had a mouth like a cut and eyes like a wound. And it blinked its slow yellow lids looking at Angela, and with its slash of a mouth it said, Mam, 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 mam. Hi, this is Tony Walker. I would like to remind you that you can become a patron of the Classic Ghost Stories podcast. Patrons get access to the library of member-only stories, and I'm doing a new member-only story at least once per month at the moment. You'll also get the joy of supporting me in the work so I can continue to produce the regular podcast. You can become a patron by signing up at www.patreon.com forward slash Barkid, B-A-R-C-U-D. So if you did feel that you wanted to support my work, it would be great to have you on board at Patreon. Well, that was The Fair Family, A Tullowith Tag by Tony Walker, me. Um, I'm going to let you into a secret now. When I first started the classic Ghost Stories podcast about three years ago, it was a, a Trojan horse. Yep, I admit it. Um, I was going to, I was using it as a vehicle to try and get people to listen to my own stories and buy them. Yes. And I'm actually giving them away. Isn't that crackers? Not all of them. Some of them. This one. And uh, yeah, so I bet you thought there was something fishy about it. Now, those of you who like uh, the stories I do and my own stories will be rubbing your hands with glee, thinking what a great bonus you've got here. But those who have feel that they've been tricked, that there's been an element of subterfuge, I can see that you may be gnashing your teeth. You may be foaming. You may be pounding the tables with your fists and saying, 
I knew there was something fishy about this. Who gives away something for nothing? And who does? Some people do. Some people do sometimes. I do quite a lot. But you may do. You may do more than me. Who knows? Anyway, so when I'm doing other people's stories, I kind of try and think <laughs> about intelligent things to say about them. Actually, I don't. I just get, kind of have a, a stream of consciousness kind of burble, um, which in some cases may hit the mark, may hit the bullseye with the dart, but um, in others, it's totally off. But it's because it's mine. I've got nothing to say what it's about apart from I can tell you the influences and, and all of that. So it's it's um, a kaleidoscopic influence coming from many different parts, clearly Wales. So that road that I mention, which goes, I used to drive it a fair bit. So my, my time in Wales was um, double, triple. There were three segments of it, really. The first is when I went to, to university in 1979, when I was, uh, I was a baby, in fact. And I, I started off to do drama. You may wonder about that one. You may think, oh, well, obviously this guy is so untheatrical. There's absolutely no way I was going to do that. And history. And I ended up doing Welsh history in the first year. And I, tra- I transferred from drama to, to do Welsh. And then I did Irish as well. So I did Welsh and Irish. And that was my first degree. And then I left and went to live in London for a bit. And then I, I pined for the mountains and the hills. I'm actually Cumbrian, so as you may have gathered. And um, yeah, Wales and Cumbria have a lot in common, including the name. Cymru is Welsh for Wales. And Cumberland is an English where, they, where they, these people who call themselves the Cymru, the Britons, the true and ancient Britons, lived the remnants of such. So that was my connection with it. So I've been interested in history and language and place names and all of that kind of thing. Uh, so when I went back, I trained as a primary teacher and I ended up as a secondary school teacher. If you're not familiar with the British school system or the English and Welsh school system, because it's slightly different in Scotland, certainly different in Ireland, Northern Ireland, then this may be completely perplexing. But I ended up teaching Welsh at the secondary level at a place called Llanvullin. But I trained as a primary teacher, I was at uni in Aberystwyth, but in Llanon. Um, so all those Llans. And I, I liked it, but I didn't like being a teacher. No, I love Welsh, but I didn't like being a teacher. So anyway, later on, I got a job working in the, for the campaign for the protection of rural Wales and then the RSPB, the Royal Society for Prevention, not prevention, protection of birds. So I ended up kind of working in environmental tourism for about 10 years. And um, I used to drive all over Wales. One of my jobs initially was servicing these um, the groups, the, the local groups uh, all across the country for the campaign for the protection of rural Wales. So one night I would be driving to Anglesey. And this is like a three-hour drive, four-hour drive, you know, sometimes. And then the next day I'll be down to Pembrokeshire. And the next day after that down to Monmouth or Usk. And then up to uh, Wrexham, which wasn't too bad actually. So this road, coming back to the point, is, is a very familiar road to me. We used to do it a lot when I was with the RSPB. Now, you may have come across a guy called Yolo Williams. Now, Yolo Williams has his own TV series. And he's a, he's a wildlife expert. And you can find him. You just look him up. And he's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And he's, he was everything I wanted to be. He was tall. He was handsome. He was an ex-rugby player. Probably still was a rugby player at the time. All the ladies loved him. And 
some of the men and he was knowledgeable and charming and kind and if he's and he's so nice if he ever hears this he'll be blushing but he was a really decent bloke anyway and he was a he was the, the confident driver that I wasn't so I remember once obviously we used to speak in Welsh but um we we're going along this road and he said he said you know People think you're crazy. My people don't credit booking Washko if you overtake here. And it was a blind bend. And he said, but I've clocked up along the road with the bends. This is proper driving this. And there was nothing coming. So we overtook on this blind bend. And he was totally correct. But it was a little bit scary. And John Gower, who, who also worked then and went to work for the BBC and is a playwright, he um, he was an even scarier driver. In fact, the RSPB had loads of scary drivers. There's a woman, um, I can't remember her name now. I saw her on TV the other day on a program about dippers. Okay, look that one up. We haven't got time to digress about the habits of dippers, all right? But they were insane. And Roger Lovecroft, who was the boss, he was a crazy driver. Yeah, I don't think he'd be listening to this, but he crashed into the back of another car on the motorway in the fast lane. He was going so fast, he banged into the car in front of him. So, yeah, so I, w- I was a bit more cautious. I was perhaps like Dave in this. So the road's very familiar. And the, the, the internal mountains of Mid Wales are so bleak and empty and lovely, but they are wild places. So that was the story. And the characters in it, actually Angela and Catherine is, of course, who's mentioned is my daughter's name, one of my daughter's names. But Tom Lynn is a conflation of... of two people I know and it might not be fair to say but then I do say everything so there's a guy called Tim Lynn who's a friend of mine uh, who, who did drama at Abbott another lovely man you know and he was very in media very artistic you know very creative guy then there was Tom Morris who's um, the, one of the great living bards of Wales and a very creative character and I suppose, and he used to wear this um, Capello Romano, this black priest's hat, and, and he actually did earn his living busking. He went to Germany and all around, and he had a harp, and he would sit and he would play. Then he formed a band, as well as being um, a, a bard, a formal bard, and, and a master and an expert in Welsh poetry. He, uh, he Bob Dylan, Arabillion, so they are very famous in Wales, and rightly so. F- fantastic stuff. So the fact, it's, it's a tom word, that clerur, it's not a very common word, but it is a proper word. And he saw himself as that, as a minstrel, travelling the highways and byways of Wales. And he lived in Brittany for a while, was a lecturer at the university in Rennes, Roison. And yeah, so massively colourful character. Of course, I've made him a South Walian in this. If you do speak Welsh, you'll have picked up, I think. When, when Tom speaks, he speaks South Walian Welsh. You know, that's the same languages, just different dialects, like you know, Yankee and Alabama or Glaswegian and Kent. But he says, And that's very South Walian because in North Wales you'd say, So you would use different word for meeting, but again, another digression. But the king, who is Gwynapneith, king of the fairies, and I think his wife is Creedyowl, Creedyowl, I can't remember. And uh, he actually lives under the Tor in Glastonbury, apparently, in England, but he used to be part of the British lands. So Gwynapneith, and he is, I don't know if he rides a goat, but fairy creatures in Celtic myth are white with red ears. Just a thing. If you ever see one, you're like, whoa, I'm going to have a trip to the underworld now. Hang on to your hat. 
it, it usually works out okay, but you know, it can be a bit disconcerting. So these these two I just conjured up. It is true what they say about the fair folk and, and in many cultures the fairy folk are referred to with great respect. Not, not possibly sincere respect either, because um, the people were scared of them. And people really were scared of them, you know. There's, there's stuff from near where I live, where farmers in the 1800s would show these um, flint arrowheads, and they're called elf shot. It was believed the fairies shot them at your cows and made them sicken. So yeah, they had a recipe, had to have this elf shot stuff in your, in your, in your cow shed, in your buyer, baby, to, to keep, keep it away. So, you know, people believed it. And, and again, going back to my time in Wales, there's a place called um, Carno, well, Caersus, and that side of Powys. And the old guys there, even in my time, we're talking 90s, believed the fairies lived on the mountaintops. No, I'm not messing. They've actually believed it, you know. And they're dangerous people. The fair folk, they're not. Tulluith means a household, actually. So technically the fair household. But the fair family has alliteration, so that was better. Yeah, and so there's a toll to pay. And I've kind of set it up, like I say, a few things like, uh, you know, they're going the toll motorway and Dave begrudges paying. And she says, well, you have to pay one way or the other. That was deliberate. And also there's another thing saying no good deed goes unrewarded. Uh, she, Angela says, that, but of course, in this case, it does. That was deliberate. The place named Bryn Ellich means Elf Hill. Now, I've got another story called Mabin Crag which is set in Cumbria. And interestingly, again, there's resonances here. The crag Mabin is named after the god Mabon, Mabon Vab Modron, who is the divine son, son of the, the um, divine mother. And he appears, in, he residually appears, he's in Welsh myth, but he also, in my part of the world, appears as a golden boy, the golden boy of um, Corby, and also probably the blue boy of Chillingham, where these are glowing children. And just over the border into Scotland, we have Cloch Mabenstein, which actually Cloch or Clog is Clog Mabon is Mabon Stone, and uh, Loch Maben is the this was the ritual place of Mabon. So Mabon was a very important god back in the day. And I make out that this um, Tumlin is this you know this, and I suppose I stole that unconsciously from Neil Gaiman's American Gods, where he has the old gods wandering around in a much diminished manner. So I suppose that's what's going on here. So so basically, Tom needs a lift to Brynellis. Oh yeah, going back to the story Mabin Crag, so Mabin's in that. The place they live is called Elva. There is a place near me called, well, where I used to live, called Elva, which means Elf How, which means the hill of the elves, and Brynellis is Welsh for the same thing. So that, again, that was me mucking about. Tom Lynn has to get to Brynellis, before nightfall, and he's got these horrible relatives there. He wasn't, wasn't expecting to find Gwynapneath up the top because he's been there many times and got away with it because he's that kind of character. He's a bit of a, a chancer. And he, um, again, the digression, you know, Sheila, who I live with, is, is she's not a chancer, but if there's a road close sign, she'll just say, let's go through it. She doesn't believe it. And most of the time she's right, the road isn't actually closed or you can get through. So... Tom's a bit like that, and he didn't expect to meet the boss. Although whether they are, um, I could probably look and work out what Mabon was to Gwynapneath, because Gwynapneath's father, Neath, Nodens, no other in Irish, was an important god, and they were all related, so they would have been kind of relatives, uh, roughly speaking. So he has to pay a toll, and he thinks, wow, this kid hasn't been christened. 
fair play, fair, fair meat, you know. So he, he swaps, like it was a changeling story really. For some reason, the fairy folk really like human children. And they put oh, quite often horrible things in her. And this was, I don't know why, this is just a toadstool leaking mucus that at the very end attaches itself to Angela with the cry, Mom, Mom, because it's her baby now. So there we are. That was, I had a lot of fun writing that story. And I, you can probably hear I had a lot of um, fun with the language as well. What was I saying? The uh, decorations jingled, jangled dangling at her delight. Yeah, I enjoyed writing stuff like that. There we are. So, um, yet another story, yet another ramble. I hope you're all well. I'm well. People keep suggesting stories to me. I will try and do most of them if I can get hold of a copy of them, if they're in copyright, if I won't get arrested, um, if I am spared, because you never know what's around the corner. But it could be something good. And I always say that to people, you know, people go, oh, yeah, it could be absolutely fantastic. You could wake up, you could have, your hair, which had gone grey, could be blonde again. Uh, you know, you could come into a lot of money. You could um, discover something useful for humanity. You never know what's around the corner. Anyway, ta-ta-tam-tok.
My podcast host, Captivate FM, have recently introduced something which means I can run adverts in the podcast. I don't want you to see this as a nuisance. I want you to see this as a way that I can be funded to free up more time to produce more content for you. If you know anyone who would like to advertise on this podcast, where we currently get around 10,000 listens a week, please get in touch via the email in the show notes.